Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Good morning to every single person that's in this room and for those that are even at home or watching. Uh, We've had over 300 views on a weekly basis of people that have tuned in to watch the service. Maybe they're at home because they don't feel uh, comfortable coming back to service. Or maybe they're just on the other side of the world and for whatever reason they have a connection to someone in this church and they have been enjoying the services and what God's been doing and speaking through this particular body here in Columbia. So we just want to say welcome to you if you're, if you're watching at home and welcome to you if you're here. Um, my name is Ben. And I have the incredible opportunity to serve as one, as one of the pastors here at C1. And uh, if you're here for the first time, and, or maybe it's the first time in a long time, or you're viewing this online, and you feel a little uncomfortable, if that's you, I'm going to speak right to you right now. Relax. Relax. If that is you, we don't want anything from you, but we do want something for you. We exist, like they said, to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus because we believe that anything you could ever need is going to be found in a relationship with him. And so if you're walking in and you're going, what's your angle? That's our angle. We want you to know Jesus because it's been a game-changing move for us, and that's what we're about. That's our angle. And so just to put it out there, all the cards are on the table. If you want to keep watching at this point, at least you know uh, where things are at. I want to set up our talk today or our message um, and uh, I don't know why I just had a, a little brain fart there, but uh, evidently when you stand in front of people, it happens often. Um, we've been in, actually, for the month of June, we've been in a series of standalone sermons or standalone messages or talks. And what that means is, is there's not necessarily built in a progression. They're just, if you were to hit someone up and just be like, hey, what's God got in your heart? What's he speaking to you? And that's a standalone. When you hear a standalone from a pastor or from someone that comes in and speaks and it's just kind of boom, this is what God's been sharing with me and trying to speak to me. And so that's what you're going to get today. You, uh, we've been hearing for the last few weeks what, what God's been placing on the the heart of our pastor, Pastor Ryan, and then today, whether you wanted to or not, you're going to get to hear what, was, what God's been putting on my heart. And uh, so I just want to invite you into that. And in lieu of everything that's been going on, I mean, goodness gracious, if, if COVID wasn't enough, then we have like crazy riots and all kinds of stuff. And then all, then I'm telling you, if someone was writing a movie and they're like, okay, what's a third element that we could throw into the mix and nobody would ever believe it? It would be sands from the Sahara. That's exactly what we're going to do. Sands from the Sahara are going to come raining down in America. And that's exactly what's happening, right? This is, no one would ever believe this as a movie line. You'd be like, that's the dumbest movie I've ever seen. You're a part of the movie. Thanks for being a part of that. That's our current reality. And so in lieu of that and, and everything that we've been experiencing over the last few months... God's been putting something on my heart, and it's been this. When people walk through uh, great deals of adversity and some kind of struggle or opposition, it's interesting, how, it's interesting how God has wired the human mind to work and how we respond to that. And uh, what I found is it brings all the stuff that's down inside of us to the surface. Whether you like that or not, it doesn't really matter because it's just a truism. It's just the way that God's wired us. It's the same thing. If you've ever walked into a relationship and you're like, they brought the, they brought the worst out of me. That's not who I am. I'm not that person. And it's like, well, 
okay, so I, I'll walk with you for a little bit there. But that's what you've said about the last three relationships, is that same person seems to like bring the worst out of you. What that means is it was there to begin with. And so what are the last three spouses, your last two bosses, and the dog that you kicked on the way in the door have in common? It's you. You're the problem. It's not everyone else's problem. It's yours. And so these moments of adversity bring out the stuff in us. Sometimes it's amazingly awesome things to see. And other times, it's things that are down there, but we just haven't had to deal with, or it hasn't risen to the surface until we're in moments like these. And one of the things that we've seen, and I know that racism has been a huge like buzzword over the last month or so, but I just, I, uh, can I just share from my heart for just a little bit before we dive into the Word, and I'm just going to be straight up about, like, we're not going to open a passage of Scripture, and you're going to hear what, uh, but what God's been dealing with me on this is that it doesn't matter if it's, if it's racism. At the end of the day, it all boils down to, in my opinion, one word, and it's called pride. Because it's not necessarily a race thing. It could be a religion thing. You know, for instance, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I grew up in Assembly of God Church, and so we, you know, we'd, we'd have gifts of the Spirit and that whole thing, and we'd always be talking about Baptist people. Well, and at the end of the day, if there was someone in the audience who was a Baptist listening in on that, that would not build them up. It just wouldn't. It just wouldn't. You know what I mean? It, but in essence, it, although the intent may have not been that, when I say something like, we're going to beat the Baptists to lunch today, uh, they, we might do that. But at the end of the day, I hope there's a Baptist person in here, and, and I want you to know that, there, that there, is no, there should be no sense of pride when I think about another denomination or another religion. I was speaking to a coworker today, and she's Muslim. And, uh, so, and in that conversation, we started talking about this, talking about how it's not just a race thing. It's a religion thing. It's, even if you, I don't know where you grew up, but where I grew up, you would, as I was in the bus and going to school, we'd go through different neighborhoods. And I'll be honest with you. I, ra- I was raised on free or reduced lunches growing up. So I, I didn't have everything handed to me on a silver platter. If you did, that's awesome and, and great for you. But even though I was on free or reduced lunches, there were some neighborhoods that we would drive through as a kid. And I would look down on those people. I'll be honest with you. Some neighborhoods where I I just, all of a sudden, I felt like I was better than them. And it was pride. And at the end of the day, it's it's bigger than race. It's bigger than a religious thing. It's bigger than a a social economics type thing. It's bigger than that. Because it comes down to something that's in the heart of every single man and woman. And it's called pride. And so... That, it seems to be a theme that God continues to deal with me on. So I I just need to be the first one to say and just being transparent with you, that's something that I have to continually fight. This idea that I'm somehow better than someone else. Because that's what pride is at the end of the day. I'm better than you. I believe that I'm better than you. I might make you think that, yeah, we're equals, but in my mind, I'm better. I'm on top. And that's... In the, in, with that in the sights or that in the crosshairs of, of what, what is it really about? If you were to just boil this de- thing down to its simplest form, it's pride. And so as I was thinking about that, one passage of Scripture jumped out to me, and it's in the book of the Bible called John. Not first, second, or third, but just John. And chapter 13. And that's the passage that we're going to open up today because I feel like... I know in myself, I can be very, like, reactive. I don't know if it's just the competitive part of me growing up playing sports, and I, was just, I had this desire to, like, okay, yeah, you're going to poke the bear? Let's go for this. We're, we're going to go right now, toe-to-toe. Um, but there's just a part of me that can be so reactive. And 
And so we're going to look at a story where someone had an opportunity to do exactly that. But pride was the situation that was at hand. So we're going to look at a story today in the book of the Bible called John. And it's called John because the guy who wrote it, that's his name. And John was one of the closest friends of Jesus. And his book is an eyewitness account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so to wrap up this book into one phrase, if you've not done a study in the book of John or if you have no desire whatsoever to like spend the next month studying this, this gospel, in one phrase you could sum up the entire book. And it was that if John wanted us to know one thing about Jesus, it would be this, is that Jesus was exactly who he said he was, the Son of God. That's what John would try to get across to us in one sentence. If you were to say, save me the chapters of reading, I just saved you the chapters of reading right there. John wants you to know that Jesus was and is the Son of God. And his book is an account that points us there and proves that statement. So to get us up to speed, before we dive in, Jesus' time here on earth is coming to a close. For about three years or a little over, he has hand-picked... 12 disciples, John being one of them, and they have lived life together. Imagine living in their sandals for a day or two. Eyewitness accounts or eyewitness experiences of seeing with your own eyes Jesus. These 12 men had witnessed the life and the ministry of Jesus, all the sermons Jesus gave, all the miracles He performed. And in this passage we're going to open, they are sharing their last meal together before Jesus is betrayed and killed. So we're going to take off in the book of John, chapter 13, verse 1. And once again, if you're looking at a book and it says 1 John, or it says 2 John, or 3 John, you're in the wrong book. It's okay. This is a judgment-free zone. I want you to know. This is better than Planet Fitness. So uh, there's no judgment allowed in this room. So if you're in the wrong book, that's okay. Find the other one. It's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, and that's the John you want. John chapter 13, verse 1. And the words are going to be on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you, or if it's a lot easier to read up here. Here we go. Verse 1. Before the Passover celebration... Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. So at this time every year, Passover was a celebration. It was was a time of remembrance. And this Passover concept began in a book of the Bible called Exodus. It's actually the second book of the Bible. And God was about to free his people from slavery in a land called Egypt. But in order to bring this about, God sends ten plagues to the land. The first, or the final plague that God would send was the death of all firstborn. I would have died in that. And maybe if you're a firstborn here, you would have been a part of that. But God instructed his people to on this evening, to cover the doorposts of their home with the blood of a lamb, so that when the angel came to take the life of the firstborn in every home, that he would see the blood on the doorpost, and he would pass over that home, and the family and all the firstborns in it were saved. 
And that's exactly what God did. Now, I remember as a, as a kid, and I probably wasn't much bigger than my son, Evan, who's eight and he's sitting on the front row, but I remember sitting in, I went to a private school portion of my childhood, and I remember a lady who taught at our school, and they would randomly have each of them do chapel every week. We had chapel, which basically meant they did this what we're experiencing today, once a week. And then we had a teacher, that she, and she was Jewish. And I remember her telling this story. And I remember her grabbing like the, this big wrap of like hyssop branches and stuff that they would have dipped into this container of blood that they had just freshly killed the lamb and, and caught this blood. And she showed us literally what that looked like as she smacked the top of the door post. And blood's all over the doorpost. And obviously she didn't have you know, real blood and she wasn't slinging it across the sanctuary or the auditorium. But then she'd hit the doorpost on either side. And when she got done, I remember as a kid going, that is nasty. That is one of the nastiest things I think I've ever heard of in my life. But when she got done, there was a cross left. And there wasn't a lot of time for them to sit there and, you know, think about how they're going to paint every square inch. You know, I'm going to get every bit of that door frame and just kind of tuck it in nicely. And, like, they'd been working all day long, and somehow they were still supposed to be able to, you know, get cleaned up, kill this lamb, cook it. You're supposed to eat all of it, and if you don't eat all of it, you're supposed to discard or burn the rest of it. And then put your clothes on because God's going to deliver us from this land, and so be ready. Go to sleep with your clothes on. And they had to do all that. In one night. So there wasn't time to cut in. They were smashing, slapping blood on the door and trying their best to get out of the way before the angel came to take the firstborn. And I remember as a child going, dude, that's a cross up there. And just be done with it and get in the house because we don't even want to be anywhere near that angel when he comes to take the firstborn. And this is what the people remembered every year at this time. They would remember what God had done for his people back in Egypt. But also, as they celebrated every single year, they would look forward to a time that God would send the Messiah, a sinless and spotless, the Lamb of God, to once and for all free men from the power of sin and slavery. To set up a kingdom in the hearts of men and women. And Jesus was and is the Lamb of God. And he knew that at Passover time, his time to make that once and for all sacrifice was upon him. That's, that's the setup. That's, that's the context in which everything is taking place. So imagine for one moment that you are in Jesus' sandals. You understand the history. You understand what people are celebrating. And you also understand that the one thing they've been looking for is about to happen. But it's going to be missed by most. And so Jesus, knowing that he has a f one more meal to share with these guys before he's taken and crucified, he's sitting there. Let's continue in verse 2. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. 
Imagine all that Jesus is processing. In addition to all that, he's aware that one of his own disciples is going to betray him in the midst of everything that's going on right now. And on top of all of that, in these last few moments as they're sharing this meal, another author in the Bible named Luke writes that there's an argument that breaks out at this meal. And so I want for just a quick moment to just put it out there that your family reunions aren't the only suppers where arguments break out. Literally, Jesus' final moments with his disciples, the last meal he'll share before he goes to the cross, an argument breaks out. And it's not even a new argument. It's an argument that basically they pick up where they left off. And the argument was this. Who of us will be the greatest? Who of us? Jesus is about to give his life as the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Everything they've been looking forward to for Passover, he's about to bring to fruition. And they're arguing about who is going to be the greatest. Can you imagine what's going through Jesus' mind as he listens to this conversation? Jesus is about to be betrayed by one of his own. He's about to suffer greatly and die for the sins of the world. For about three years, he has continually poured himself into these 12 men. They have seen and heard and experienced the power of God. And now he's sitting here listening to this. And John records for us what Jesus' response to this in John chapter 13, verse 3 is. And I just want to say this. This what we're about to read would not have been my response. I'm no Jesus, but I'm just telling you right now, if this conversation had, a bro- had broken out then and there, I would not be doing what we're about to read. So this is Jesus' response, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. And so, in essence, John's trying to set something up here. He's trying for us to understand that this isn't just a great prophet. This isn't just a great rabbi or teacher. This is the Son of God who is God. 100% God, 100% man. And with that in mind, that God is sitting at the table with these prideful men, then he says this in verse 4. So Jesus, he got up from the table took off his robe, wrapped a towel around their waist, around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. That is not the natural response. That's not a reaction doesn't occur and look anything like that. With me, I would have said, okay, like who started this conversation? First of all, this is like the third time we're having this conversation. Literally, in the last meal, which of you idiots started this? And can't you get it through your thick skulls? That the... That's how I would have gone at it. But Jesus grabs a towel, pours water into a basin, and he starts washing his disciples' feet. As Jesus sat there listening to this, who's the greatest conversation? He saw two things. He saw pride, and he saw stinky feet. Jesus saw pride and stinky feet. And so, 
Jesus, although thinking to himself, I can do something about both of those things. I'm going to start with some stinky feet. I can take care of that. I can do that. And he starts to wash his disciples' feet. Now you need to understand, has anyone in this room ever had your feet washed? Have you ever been to a foot washing? Have you ever experienced that? Let me just play that out for you real quick. When a foot washing takes place, you don't get a card in the mail the week before. You arrive, whatever state your feet are in, which may be three months late of a pedicure, and they may be stanky, like these disciples' feet no doubt were. No, no, no idea it's happening. And guess what? No matter what them babies are looking like, they come out. And you can smell. And it is one of the most humbling things you will ever experience in your life. I went to a retreat. This was about six months before I moved from California. And to be honest, the the whole retreat in one word would have been um, love, or God's love for me specifically that, that I experienced on that week. But one of the things that they did, they walked in, and these men began to wash our feet. And our... And there wasn't a dry eye in the place. Every single person that was having their feet washed couldn't hold it together. A bunch of grown men. Had there been a woman in the, in the room, probably there wouldn't, have been a, there wouldn't have been a tear shed. But a bunch of men are just sitting there bawling their eyes out because they're experiencing the humility that comes from the love of God as someone is down, serving, smelling, and cleaning what's not theirs to clean. It's one of the most humbling things you'll ever experience. And you need to understand that although we got sneakers and socks and all that other stuff, that in that culture, they had sandals. And the Roman highways or pathways were where animals went. They didn't just walk. They did other stuff on those pathways. And so you're walking through all of that. And literally, there'd be phrases used like, if you were a disciple, that may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. In other words, if, as you follow so close to your rabbi, may the dust of his sandals get all over you. And that's the picture that had been played out every single day as Jesus had been walking and the disciples were covered in that same dust and it was all over their feet and all the animal dung and all the other stuff that had collected was there. And that's what Jesus grabs a towel and begins to clean. And it was the equivalent, instead of someone coming into your home and you take their coat and you say, can I offer you a drink? What they would do in that culture was to have someone to wash feet. Except it wouldn't be the host or the person that owned that home that would be doing the washing because the washing of feet was something that the lowliest of lowest servants would do. A host would never touch the feet of his guest. He would offer it as a service, but only at the expense of the lowest of the lowly servant. But at this particular time, at this particular meal, Jesus had borrowed someone's home. The owner doesn't seem to be there. And so they arrive and they're using this space and there's no one to clean feet. And Jesus assumes the position. So the significance here that John reiterates for us in the verses that we just read is that Jesus is not just a great prophet or a teacher or a rabbi, but Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth, the Alpha, the Omega, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, left 
his throne in heaven to bend down in his final moments on earth to wash some nasty, stinky feet covered in animal poop off of his closest friends who are arguing who's going to be the best. That's the picture John creates. That's what's happening in this moment. In the midst of all that, Jesus saw a need and he filled it. John continues in verse 6. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. I feel like, in a moment of transparency, I feel like we can be a little too harsh on Peter as we read through the Gospels. Because that's exactly what was supposed to be said. The owner of a home would never be washing feet. But certainly God, the Son of God, especially the one who's going to go to the cross and take away the sins of the world, will never, ever wash my feet. That should never happen. And that's exactly what Peter says. And Peter just says what everyone else is thinking. So he gets a bad rap. But Jesus replied, hmm. unless I wash you, Peter, you won't belong to me. Woo. But it's that same pride that argues over who's the greatest. It's the same pride that, that says that I can serve and no one can serve me. A pastor set me straight on this early on in ministry. I genuinely meant well, but I was, I, was, uh, I was expressing to him how difficult it is sometimes to have someone like give you something or just do something nice and, and try to serve you and try to, you know, try to take care of you. Know, I, I was just having a hard time with it, with someone serving or blessing me. I was, in a, I was on a team, and we were there to serve the church, and so I didn't feel like I was there to be getting anything in return. I was there to serve the church, and that's, that's what I was supposed to do. And he set me straight on it. And what he told me was, is that in addition to the hum humility that it takes to receive something from someone with thanksgiving, when I receive something, it also allows the giver the opportunity to be obedient to the Lord, and he blesses them for blessing me. And when I don't allow that, I keep them from blessing me, therefore keep them from being able to be blessed by God. And they will probably, if they're obedient in it, they're going to go find someone else to bless. But in essence, I try to plug the system that God is trying to set up and drain some blessing down to me. And no doubt, I may have rejected a couple of blessings and I'm sure that God in His grace and mercy put it on the heart of that individual to go find someone else who could be served. And someone set me straight on that. But pride, the same pride who says who's going to be the greatest can also be the same pride that says no one can serve me. I, I get to serve, but no one serves me. And Jesus called Peter on this. He said, unless I wash you, Peter, you will have no part with me. And so what, what we need to understand is that when someone serves me, I will receive it. Because the Bible is pretty clear that everything, all the earth and everything in it, is the Lord's. 
belongs to him. And so when I'm saying no or I'm not allowing someone to serve me or to bless me, what I'm really saying at the end of the day is, God, I'm good. And if we're going to be the only ones to serve and never take something in or never receive anything, that doesn't last for very long. But when someone serves me, I will receive it. The story continues in verse 9. Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. And Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash, except for the feet, to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And that is what he meant when he said, Not all of you are clean. This can be a hard little passage of Scripture to kind of understand because there's a little bit of, there's just some stuff going on there. So what Jesus is saying is that just like people don't need to shower before every single meal, like how many of you, you jump in the shower before you eat every single day? Yeah, you jump in the bathtub or the shower because you're like, I don't know, I might feel like inserting some Cheetos through my toes into my mouth, so I'm just going to wash everything. And Jesus is saying, no, if, if you've taken a shower, you don't need to you don't need to take another shower before you eat. You just need to have your feet clean. And this foot washing was, was symbolic. It wasn't just to speak to the pride and to respond to the pride that was in the room. But Jesus was also giving us a foreshadowing of what he was about to do on the cross. To wipe the slate clean. The song that we talk about, uh, he washed me white as snow. That's the bath. That's the spiritual bath that Jesus provides any and every single person who believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that Jesus was and is the Son of God and that God allowed him to be killed and he raised him up from the dead. That's the bath. And Jesus is speaking to that and he said not all because he knew Judas that was sitting there. A guy whose feet he had just washed, he knew he was going to betray him. Not all of you are clean. But after, verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? Don't you love rhetorical questions? They were like, Jesus, you just told us that we're not going to understand what you're doing. So, no, I don't understand what you were doing. I mean, I understand that you were washing poop off our feet, but I don't understand why. Verse 13, Jesus said, You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. This is exactly what Jesus was doing when he looked out across the room and saw stinky feet. There's stinky feet, and I can get a two-for-one. I can start washing some feet, I can confront the pride that's in the heart of these men and I can give them an example of what they're supposed to be doing and how they're supposed to be treating and acting one to one another after I leave. 
And so he starts washing feet. And this was the response to the argument that had been broken out. The disciples are recorded at times before this. They were arguing. You can read in other accounts, in other Gospels, or other books that were in front of John about who would be the greatest. And Jesus had already told them in those moments. He had already said these words. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, if you want to be the greatest, you must be the servant of all. And it's because for the follower of Jesus, serving isn't something that we do. A servant is who we are. Let me say that again. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're here today, serving others is not something that we do. It's a part of who we are. It's an upside-down kingdom that Jesus established in the hearts of men. What would naturally come is exactly the opposite of what Jesus has called us to do. Culture says if you want to get on top, serve yourself. Watch out for yourself. And if necessary, take out any opposition by any means necessary so that you can get on top. Not Jesus' kingdom. And this time, he plays it out in real time, setting an example of what that actually looks like when he grabbed a towel and a basin full of water. Skip down to verse 34 and 35, because this kind of brings this whole thing full circle. Verse 34 and 35. And so if you want to know what you missed in between those verses, go read it when you get home today or at night before you go to bed or the first thing tomorrow morning. And it's going to make this what he's about to say even pop anymore. But for the sake of time, go read whatever verses that was, 18 through 33. But we're going to stop, or we're going to start back in verse 34 and 35. Jesus brings this whole thing full circle, and he says this. So now I am giving you a new commandment. And so when Jesus says something like that, that's when your ears should perk up. If you were a dog, that's when your ears go, I'm going to give you a new command? Okay, so this is, this is interesting. Okay, love each other. And everyone's like, we, that's not a new command. We've heard that. We, we've heard that. In fact, we heard you say that. But Jesus changes the wording that follows the command. Not love each other, you know, or love each other as you love, as you love yourself, or whatever you want to, however you want to call it, because throughout the Gospels it's kind of said it in word differently. But Jesus, for the first time, says, Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. So that takes it a step further. That's bigger than love your neighbor as yourself. Because my neighbor hasn't given his life for me. My neighbor most likely has not washed my feet. If they have, that's a weird relationship. And you might need to check that. But Jesus says, love others just as I have loved you. And he's probably still drying from the foot washing he had just given. And I want you to see this because, like I said, this brings this whole thing full circle. Jesus didn't say, no, I actually need to, I need to finish this passage. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus didn't say the world will know that you are my disciples by your theology. Jesus didn't say 
The world will know you are my disciples by the sign that sits in your parking lot. Not even by miracles and wonders. Jesus said that the world will know that we belong to him by the way that we love one another. If you want to know what that looks like in real time, reverse back and read what we just read. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand that it's important that we understand why we do what we do. And if we don't understand the why, then I would say then you don't, then that's a good chance that you don't need to be doing something if you don't know why you do it. I mow my lawn because it looks horrible and I get comments from my neighbor. No, I'm, I mow my lawn because I want it to look nice and I want to be a good steward of what God, what God has given me. But when I do something, whether it's at work or at home, I need to know why. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to understand the why. And the why is right here. This is why we serve, and this is why we love, and this is why we allow others to love us, is because Jesus has commanded us to. And the service and the humility comes from the love for one another. And pride and love can't stay in the same house. It's not because we're supposed to. It's not, we don't serve so that someone else can serve us. We love others because Jesus loved us. That's, that's why. That's the why. We serve others because Jesus first served us. Left heaven. Emptied himself. That's the why. When we see a need and fill it, when we allow others to serve us, when we love like Jesus and serve our families, serve our communities, our church, our places of employment, our neighbors, there will be a ripple effect. And that's the point. That is the point. John says it in this final verse that we read, that the world will know. Cause and the effect The whole point is that the world can see Jesus and the world can know Him. That's the point. And if tomorrow, if C1 closed its doors for good, would anyone notice? Other than people that call this place home. If C1 closed its doors for good, tomorrow, and just to let you know and to put you at relief, we're not closing tomorrow. But if we were to close tomorrow, would anyone notice? Would anyone care other than people that call this place home? And the answer needs to be yes. Because the church doesn't exist for itself. And I'm not talking about C1. I'm talking about every body of believers that exists in this world that belongs to Jesus as the head. He, if we are a part of His church, if we are followers of Him, we do not exist for ourselves. We are the church and we exist for the world. We are spiritual contributors, not consumers. If the church has a need, we're not looking to the community to fill it. It should be the other way around. If the community has a need, the churches should be rising up and figuring out a way to fill that need in the community. That's the example Jesus set. And I refuse to sit in a seat I didn't pay for and have someone invest in the lives of my family and not give back. That's not what Jesus modeled, and that's not what he's called me to, and that's not what I'm going to allow for my life. So as a follower of Jesus, 
When I see a need, I will feel it. It will probably inconvenience you. It will probably not be great timing. And that's the point. This argument couldn't have been in worse circumstances. But Jesus didn't let that keep him from what he knew the course he needed to run. And when others serve me, I will humbly receive it. It is more blessed to give than to receive, but there's no passage in Scripture that says it is demonic to receive, or it is against the law to receive, or that it, you should not ever receive. It, there's a time to give and there's a time to receive, just like there's a time to be born and a time to die. And I will love others well, not because I'm supposed to, not because I want people to do it to me, but because Jesus first loved me. As we head into response time right now, regardless of where you are today, I hope this has not felt like a butt whooping because that has not been the heart or the intention behind what, what I've read from and, and said. But there is good news today. And the reason that there's good news is because Jesus, like we said when we started, doesn't need anything from us. He has something for us. That's good news. If you hear nothing else, hear this. Jesus doesn't need anything from you, but He has something for you. No matter where you're at, whether you're inside a relationship with Him or you're still kicking the tires on this whole relationship with Jesus thing, there's good news. Jesus has something for you. And to take maybe a little different course than maybe you would think, there are people sitting in here today, or there are people that are watching from home, or from wherever they're watching on their monitor, who feel unclean. And you feel unclean, not just because you walked in today, but you have felt unclean for a very long time. And the reason that you feel unclean is because that you did something or something was done to you. And you have carried that ever since. And I want you to know if you're watching today, if, if you're listening in, Jesus loves you. And the same Jesus who left heaven to bend down to wipe the feet of His disciples, even the one who would betray Him, He bent down and cleaned Judas's feet before He ran out and betrayed His Lord. Or betrayed Jesus because wasn't, He wasn't Lord to, to Judas. The same Jesus that we read about in this story is here today. And He's still in the cleaning business. There's no mess too, too messy, too big, too complex that He can't leave throne from heaven and come down and wipe clean. We sang about it earlier. Jesus paid it all. And because He paid it all, He can clean it all. And like Peter, all that you have to do is check your pride at the door and invite Jesus to do the cleaning work in your life, in your heart. Jesus, wants to wash you. There are also people listening today that need to hear 
that Jesus is still in the business of filling needs today. I don't know who you are, what you're going through, what your need is, but I know this, that God is absolutely aware of every single need that's represented in this room right now. And that there's not one need represented here today that he's not already aware of and that he cannot fill. When Jesus looked across the room, he didn't just see stinky feet. That's what we would have seen. But he saw what was in the hearts of his followers. And he knows exactly what we need, whether it's a material thing, whether it's something emotional, whether it's something uh, spiritual, whether it's something... He knows exactly where you are today. And he wants you to know that he sees your situation, that he, he knows your anxious thoughts. He knows the dollars in your bank account. And I'm not sure who needs to hear this, but if God cares enough about some crummy old birds and makes sure that they have something to eat every single day, how much more does He care for and want to take care of us? And I love birds, but compared to birds, you are worth much more. And that's exactly what Jesus said when He told the story. How much more? Does your heavenly Father love you and want to take care of you? Jesus is the only one who's promised to take care of all of your needs and then can actually do it. Some of you have been in that one of those relationships where, oh, baby, I'm just going to love you. I'm going to take care of all your needs. No, you're not. No, you're not. Because you're not God. You might be able to provide something, all material things for that individual, but you will never be able to supply the need that they have in their heart. Emotionally, spiritually, we're limited. Jesus is the only one who can say, I will take care of all of your needs, and then actually he can do it. Jesus can, and you can go to the bank on it. Now, it might not happen the way that you think it should happen. He may not fill the need in the time frame that you think that he needs to fill it in, but it will happen because Jesus has promised, and Jesus doesn't know how to break a promise. Jesus is here, and he can fill all of your needs. And the last and final thing is that you're here today, and you just need to experience the love of God. Like I mentioned earlier, I went on that weekend retreat, and between the foot washing and the letters that they had gone months in advance to have people write me, so on that weekend, I'd sit there and read read letters that people wrote of just saying, saying, saying something genuine and heartfelt, having someone that I've never met before that loves Jesus enough to wash my stinky feet. And that weekend was life-changing for me, and I almost didn't go. And to be honest, I'll be, I'll be honest with you why I didn't go. Pride. I was a pastor, and I was going to go into this thing, and I felt like someone was going to just power up and you know, try to give me a, you know, put me in a headlock and give me a dry shampoo and be the rent cop pastor for the weekend. And I didn't want to be a part of it. But God took my pride and he filled it up with his love. And he did it by using those men. Maybe you're here and you just need to experience the love of God. What I want to do is just for a few moments um, just to be respectful of, of, of people's space and, and their guidelines because I don't know where each of you are at today. I want to be respectful of that. Could we for 
a moment. If there's anything that's been said thus far, where you feel like, yeah, that, that, there's, uh, I didn't want to hear that, but I, I know that I needed to. Or, yep, that's an area in my life that I feel like God's been kind of dealing with me on, but I've just kind of been giving him the cold shoulder for the last few months. If there's anything there, what I want to do is I want to just open up in a moment of silence, whether you have a relationship with God or not. You might be sitting there literally starting your prayer out like this. God, I don't even know if you're there, but if you are, you know. You know how unclean I feel. You know how dirty I feel and have felt for a long time. You know that my needs that Evidently, no one seems to care, and I don't, know, I don't see my way out of this. I don't see how anyone can help me get out of the situation that I'm in. And I certainly have never, ever felt the love of God in my life. Whether you have a relationship with him or not, could we have a moment of silence for you to just start a conversation or maybe pick up from the conversation that you've been having with God all week long? Can we just do that? And then instead of, you know, talking with someone or anything like that, could we allow God to respond to that moment in each of our hearts in a moment of silence? Would that be okay? So literally, just for a minute or two, a moment of silence, a moment of reflection, a moment to, to kind of chew on what has been said and God's word as it's spoken and to let it pierce through whatever part of your heart that needed it today and then allow God to speak to you. Can we do that? Let's do that. If you're still having a moment with, with Jesus, please continue that moment. And I want to speak to everyone in this room, even if I'm just a background noise at this point. If you're here today, 
And even if it's just in this moment, if you have experienced the love, the provision, and the cleaning of Jesus in your life, it's time to do exactly what he said for us to do in the passage that we read. And it's time to follow his example and to share these things with others. I can't get up here and, and challenge anyone to do something or to, 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 um, <laughs> to do something until you've experienced it first. You can't take people to a place you've never been. It's going to be hard to offer and talk about the love of Jesus if you've never experienced the love of Jesus. It's hard to lead people into worship <laughs> if your sins haven't been forgiven um, and, you, and you're not very clear that you're a sinner and only saved by grace. So we've got to, we've got to at least experience so to some extent before we can be a part of the example that's to be set that Jesus said in his word that we just read. It's time to follow his example and it's time to share these things with the world. And this is not a one and done type thing. This isn't a, I'm going to commit to serve Jesus today and then don't think about it ever again. It's a process. It's an everyday choice, just like forgiveness is. It's an everyday choice that has to be made. When you wake up, just like every day, if you're, gonna, if you're actually going to walk out and live out what forgiveness looks like, it's not a, you know, at an altar one day you forgave someone. Because what happens? Three weeks later, the same person comes in and does the same thing that they did to you the last time. It's an everyday waking up and choosing to walk in forgiveness and saying, Jesus, with your help, I choose to forgive today. And it's the same for serving. It's the same for loving others. That today, I will choose. There is a choice to be made, and I choose to serve others. It's not something I do. A servant is who I am. And we're to be a river, not the Dead Sea. God doesn't bless me so I can just have blessings all to myself. Jesus blesses me so I can be a blessing to others. God loves me so I can share His love with others. We're a highway or a river, not a Dead Sea. And in the coming weeks and months, there are going to be opportunities to not just um, you know, serve at work, serve at home, serve, you know, serve in the coffee shop that you're having a conversation with someone, but there are going to be opportunities to serve around here. And I want you to hear this, and I want you to, uh, to believe it with everything in you, because, because I do, we do, that Jesus doesn't need something from you. Jesus doesn't. The earth and everything in it is the Lord's. He be, it, belong, it all belongs to Him. He, he is lacking nothing. But He does have something for us. And we don't have to serve. We get to serve. Serving is not what we do. A servant is who we are. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not serving somewhere, there is a dimension of the Christ-following life that you have not experienced yet. And so... I want to challenge you because I feel like every single time we hear from God's Word, we should walk out with some kind of a challenge. I want to challenge you to do exactly what Jesus spoke to His disciples today. As I've set an example, now it's your turn to live this out. Now it's your turn. I've washed the feet. I've served you. I've, I've cleaned up your lives. I've, I've shown you what it looks like to actually love. Now go do it. And if God tells you to do it, if it's here at this church, I found in my own life when God asks me to do something, I need to be obedient because I'm going to miss out on something amazing that he has for me and the person or the whatever, fill in the blank, that he's wanting me to come alongside and serve. So whether it's here at this church, whether it's at your job, whether it's your family, 
whether it's your, you know, whether it's your spouse, whether it's a, a family member that maybe you just haven't had a great relationship with, man, be obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit as he speaks and leads you to begin to go out and serve one another as Jesus has served and loved us. Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, that we have multiple accounts, the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you that a relationship with him is absolutely a game-changing move. And regardless of where we're at today, whether we're outside a relationship with him or we have been serving Jesus for a very long time, that there is not something here for all of us, that there is absolutely something here for each of us. And whether you need to continue the cleaning work that you've begun in our hearts, whether we need to hear that it's okay to receive, it's okay to lower our pride or check it in at the door and allow someone to serve you, maybe for the first time, that it's okay to love others. And the reason is, is because Jesus first loved me. I pray that we do that. I pray that we invite you into each day as we wake up this week to give us eyes to see and give us obedient hearts to live out and to do the things that you speak to us to do. And may we see that ripple effect in this community for your glory and yours alone. In your name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to say thank you for coming today. Thank you for uh, taking carving time out on your weekend to be here. And um, we'll see you next week.